Now, to show our gratitude, we're not going to be like the other guys and jerk you around and bullshit you. We're going to tell you the truth. Shane Douglas is the man who ignites the new flame of the sport of professional wrestling. The era of the franchise. The era of the ECW. Connection podcast listeners, welcome back to the most extreme menage a trois violence you'll ever experience here on the North South Connections Extreme Three Way Dance Podcast. Myself, Jenny, and Matt here to bring you through the history of ECW. How are you guys both doing? Doing good, feeling extreme. Happy to be back with you guys again. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Always, always feeling extreme here in the Northeast. Always extreme. <laughs> Dangerous, really. Mm-hmm. Threatening. Mm-hmm. Hot core. Violent. Yes, very hot core. Hot core. <laughs> I'm as hot core as it gets in Fall River. That's right. Uh, all right. So before we dive into this week's uh, festivities, we have three weeks of ECW television coming at you here. Of course, our last episode, we talked about Natural Born Killers 1996. So we're going to be kind of hitting the fallout from that as we ramp up toward the next big ECW arena show. Uh, before we get to that, though, we thought we'd just take a few minutes here to talk about the passing of the legendary Scott Hall, of course, also known as Razor Ramon, uh, as we're recording this, just passed away earlier today. And it was kind of a, a slow march, like it was everyone kind of hoping for a miracle, but knowing probably wasn't you know coming, sadly. Mm-hmm. He had hip surgery either late last week or over the weekend, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then began to... Uh, experience issues due to a blood clot breaking loose. He ended up having a series of three heart attacks that put him into a coma, put him on life support. And that was the news that kind of broke on Sunday. And then Monday came and the story that hit was that basically, and I think it was Kevin Nash that that posted on Instagram that they had decided as soon as the family kind of gathered and, and say goodbye, they would remove the life support and then just kind of go from there. And it seemed like he survived a good six hours or so, I guess on his own before his body finally gave out when he passed away. And obviously it's a guy, you know, w- with his faults, we're not going to sit here and get into that and judge, et cetera. But, um, you know, it obviously had his off the field issues uh, that were well-documented, but so were his comeback attempts. And as a guy that battled a ton of the proverbial demons, uh, throughout his life. And it's, you know, he survived a lot to get this mm-hmm. far. And um, this usually seems to be how it goes or something like this. It seemed fairly, I don't want to say innocuous, but uh, less likely to take him down ends up, um, you know, ending his life. He wrestling wise, career wise, obviously one of the most legendary figures of the mid 90s. I think anyone who was of aware of wrestling, you know, in the mid 90s, maybe if you were in like the fifth grade to high school range like you all knew razor ramon i'm getting i think a lot of people you know imitated the the walk and the toothpick and the bad guy and i think he'll be one of those guys you see pop up a lot on social media from people you didn't even know were wrestling fans or do you know like wrestling uh friends and and whatnot uh will or others and you know pop culture media will probably pop up and you'll see his name here and there i think folks just knew him from that era and also of course the nwo which was huge and reignited the wrestling business in 1996 and beyond a lot of people's wrestling fandom, as you've heard on, uh, you know, some of the people I've talked to just alone on behind, behind the connection and elsewhere, 
all got back in right around that same time. And it was mainly due to the NWO. And of course, Scott Hall is a driving force in that. So um, a a very popular figure, a well-known figure across the board. And I I think one of the coolest things, I've seen this mentioned by a few people, when you look at, you know, when he was Razor Ramon, right, he stood out as, as just a cool motherfucker in a very uncool time period of wrestling history. Mm-hmm. You look mm-hmm. at all the gimmicks and nonsense that surround him in like 94 and 95. He just stands out as just the coolest dude in the room. And I think that's why he was always super over why the fans were always into him. Uh, why, you know, they forced a face turn because he was just so cool. Like no one wanted to boo the guy. And that ranked true even in the NWO. Like outside of his first couple months as Razor Ramon, and, and I guess I guess stuff before that as Diamond Stud or whatever, he was never really a true heel just because he was so cool. No one wanted to hate the guy. So um, a long legacy, a lasting run, and uh, popped back up recently, of course, with all the stuff with DDP and getting into DDP yoga, being part of Jake the Snake's comeback story as well. Of course, that's all documented in the Jake the Snake documentary and it seemed like he had gotten things under control but continued to really have just on and off issues and um you know at least you know got his moment in the Hall of Fame and WrestleMania 31 where he comes out the NWO like like there's a lot there for him mm-hmm. uh, that he got his kind of bounce back at retribu- retribution moments and again we're not going to dive into some of his other issues um off you know outside the ring but they are there. So, right, so we're not here to judge him. Either way, it's a person to talk about his wrestling legacy and just a sad way to see uh, anyone go. Is it, you know, obviously affected a lot of his friends and, and others that uh, we're talking about it constantly across social media the last couple of days. So, Matt, anything you want to just kind of add in there about your thoughts on Scott Hall? Yeah, I mean, he was one of my all time favorites and uh, just a huge bummer seeing that news come out over the past couple of days. And uh, I mean, by the time I'm a little bit younger, I'm only 30. So like by the time I really started watching, it was NWO Scott Hall. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to I had to go back and watch like all the Razor Ramon stuff. So, I mean, like, yeah, just NWO Hall is one of my favorite characters of all time. And like you said, just one of the coolest guys in the room. Like he had a presence about him where he just, he oozed machismo. Like he used to say, you know, just, uh, yeah, incredible stuff. And I mean, he's a guy who uh, let's face it with him and Nash, they changed the business when he Mm -hmm. walked into WCW in 96. So, I mean, yeah, uh, definitely sad seeing that come out over the last couple of days. What do you think, Jenny? Any thoughts on uh, Hall? Um, you know, I, I hate to say I'm I'm glad for this, but I am glad that he did have the opportunity to sort of go through recovery and mm-hmm. sort of come for full circle with a lot of that stuff. It seemed like he had made his peace with a lot of that um, stuff. And, you know, like you said, all of his friends and family, like supporting him through everything. And um, a lot of wrestlers don't get that, you know, a lot of them. Um, the way, the, you know, the way he lived, you know, he probably shouldn't have, but I mean, yeah, really, when you look at it, right. Yeah. And, and I hate to say that cause it's still, mm-hmm. you know, he's still, he's not that old. Right. So, um, but you know, he's, he will always think of NWO, um, Scott Hall and, you know, it's just like, wow. Um, <laughs> you don't, it, it, it's, it's his magnetism. It's like, I, when it comes to wrestling, that's like the least of what you want to see him do. You know, right. you want to hear him talk and you want to watch him move, but you know, it's, he was just effortless, um, and all of that and fit right in, um, with the cool kids there with Nash and everybody. So, um, you know, it, it is super sad. And also the way it sort of got, muddled all over media social media about did he pass did he not pass everybody's sort of doing the death watch thing that was kind of sad but um you know i hope it i hope his family got closure on it though with him you know being able to Mm -hmm. say goodbye agreed and he was only 64 so yeah definitely definitely young um but he'll be honored and uh remembered fondly for a lot of fans of a certain age and certain era for sure um and like I said, I think you'll be seeing a lot of stuff around social media from people that you pr- probably didn't even realize were, were wrestling fans or watched as kids. Uh, he'll be one of those guys that popped up. And of course, he just, just oozed machismo, right? Had that drip at a very mm-hmm. um, time where um, not a lot of people did in the world of wrestling. So, all right. So rest in peace, Scott Hall. Uh, obviously, be missed in the wrestling community and uh, condolences to his close friends and family. 
All right, so let's head back to our trek through time in the world of extreme. The August 27th, 1996 episode of Hardcore Television. Joey Styles is in the ring, sets us up for the show ahead. The crowd rabid as ever. He's pouring sweat, comments about all the heat in the building, and then brings out Rob Van Dam. Joey says Sabu's in Japan. He knows RVD has no respect for him, but he'll come looking. RVD tells fans to shut up so he can talk. He says he's told he has someone to wrestle tonight, and that it's someone that's beaten him before. And he knows it's not Shane Douglas, Scorpio, or Sabu, because he beat all of them. So RVD says, bring my opponent out. And it is Doug Furness. Mm-hmm. We then get our opening animation, and we see the RVD-Doug Furness match from Natural Born Killers 96 that we talked about in our last episode. So I'm not going to recap it here, of course. We then go back to the nest with Joey Styles. He talks about all the events that have gone down between RVD and Furnace and how it kind of mirrored what went on with RVD and Sabu earlier this year. And he recaps the feud between those two. Joey then says we'll have an update on Missy Hyatt, who was injured recently by Lori Fullington during a match between Raven and Sandman at the Rexplex on Staten Island. And we had two footage of that from a fan cam. It is Sandman versus Raven from Staten Island, home of Angelina uh, and Vinny, where Raven, (laughs) busted foot and all, is about to deal with Sandman and his cane before Sandman can strike. Lori comes in and blocks him, but Missy comes in and jumps on her back. We get a cat fight as Sandman watches, but then Stevie comes in and drops him with a Stevie kick. Stevie pins down Missy, and Lori canes the shit out of her, including one hard shot to the arm. Mm. Missy then grabs a crutch and swings it, but collapses to the floor. Sandman grabs uh, the uh, drops to the Raven pose and lets Laurie cane him. But Raven comes in and kicks Sandman with a loaded boot to retain his title. Joey says it's only 24 hours after the foot reconstruction that Raven had, and he hobbles off. And of course, Jenny, this was all angle, no match. Mm-hmm. but had a ton of usual heat and all the nonsense that goes into Raven Sandman. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Just like if you're at a house show and this is what you check it out, it's pretty high level stuff. You're getting an angle, you get the fan cam of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Hey, I love fan cam footage. Like I like the way they show it to us and clip it up. It's cool. Um, it looks like they're in an air and like a hangar of some sort. Like, <laughs> it, like, is it a spaceship? Like, I don't know where <laughs> they're at, but um, this the was Rex real, the Rex Flex, whatever that is. Um, this looked really fun. Um, Lori was going to town, boy, wasn't she? Was that Kane? Uh, she was, uh, she had a lot of pent up aggression, I think probably coming out in those King shots. Um, and then I howled when he said reconstructive surgery on his foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause that cast was ridiculous, but, um, this is fun shit, Matt. Yeah. Uh, really fun angle here. Uh, I put that the building looks like the inside of a balloon. That's kind of what it looked like <laughs> yeah, to me. Right? It's just, it looked like you had to like uh, run air through it just like to keep the roof up. It's just a, a weird looking tent, blimp. <laughs> tent blimp balloon type thing. Uh, Laurie caning the shit out of Missy was great. And uh, yeah, this was a, this was a ton of fun. And uh, Raven in a walking boot again, uh, another cast. Mm-hmm. Like if ever there was a man who was a candidate for a foot transplant, like, <laughs> you know, you know what? Just cut this one off. Start yeah, a new it's, one. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> just, they push. just reconstruct that bitch. Right. Like like a like a like a salamander tail. It'll grow back. <laughs> it's fine. Like good lord. But uh, yeah, really fun segment here. Yeah, that foot has been uh, really hobbling him for, for most of the year here. Uh, but, you know, kudos to A, him, because he's working through it, mm-hmm. and B, them, for finding creative ways to keep right. playing into it. Like, this is just what you always hear, right? They accentuate this kind of stuff, and they make it fit for them. It could have been very easy to just have lose, you know, Raven lose and then vanish for six months and try and rehab this thing. But, you know, they're pushing through. And, look, I don't know if it's smart or not. I don't know how serious it really is, right? Like, I don't know if you really had foot reconstruction. It could right. just be continuing issues with gout or whatever he's got going on. But, um <laughs> they're at least playing it up as such and it just plays into his smarmy slimy bullshit so well and just the skis group he's got going on right now and messing with sandman i mean when you make sandman look less skeezy yeah. uh than you then you know you got something cooking uh from a heel point of view and they're, they're doing a great job with it so this feud continues to cook along uh i mean do you guys feel like it's lost any steam or are you still like pretty engrossed in it yeah it ha- yeah 100 percent. it hasn't lost anything it just speaks to how good Raven is. He doesn't have to wrestle. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he could def- be a manager at this point. Like, it'd right. be fine. I mean, it's, he's fine without it. But um, and even of, this this stuff works well. I kind of love that we we don't even we've been watching this shit for years. We don't even know if it's real. If, right. If right. This foot is really fucked up or not. I think that's amazing. 
my guess would be as usual in the middle of this stuff. Like I'm sure it was fucking hurting. Right. I don't think he had a full reconstructive surgery and then is hobbling around in, in you know, the Rexplex. <laughs> but I feel uh, like for sure. it would also probably be a bad look if they say, oh, Raven's got a case of the gout. Right. Every... <laughs> right. You, yeah, say... you already did that once, right? And... You got to say something else. <laughs> right. By this point, you got you to gotta mix it up. And it makes him sound more vicious, like that he's got a mm-hmm. you know, completely reconstructed foot and he's still out there. Uh, Staten Island dump hobbling his way through. So, All right. Uh, so we go back to Joey. He tells us Missy Hyatt's elbow is all completely busted. And next week we'll get a, an update on her. We then get our extreme encyclopedia. Hmm. Tommy Dreamer, weapons userus, Taz, <laughs> angriest shoot grappleus. <laughs> and uh, that's a big return for the extreme. Have you seen the extreme encyclopedia, Matt? Or has this been uh, the first uh, time since you've been with us? No, this is the first time I have seen this. <laughs> this was a pretty regular feature. What, Jenny, like 94? Four, probably because it was like when cactus mm-hmm. was around it was like a big yep. one maybe it was like 95 but uh yeah they used to lean on this quite a bit i was actually surprised when it popped back uh on our screen and that sets up a big match for next week's taz versus tommy dreamer it's interesting punctuation on those as well Capitali- mm. capitalizing every letter uh yes. every first letter in the whole thing so <laughs> Well, look, when you're working on MS Paint on on, on uh, Paulie's mom's computer, that's a good point. That's what you get. On the Commodore 64, he's got mm-hmm. his mom's basement, yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, Lance Wright is with us. He promotes the Doctor's in-home video, and he brings us a match from that event. Way back at Doctor is uh, Louis Spicoli versus Johnny Smith, so we fill a little bit of time with that. And then we head to Pulp Fiction, and we start with... Our Italian lesson of the week. All right, you guys excited? Hey, Always. All right. So if, you know, I feel like we oscillate between edgy and maybe a little less edgy. I'll let you guys tell me this week. I like uh, Edgy. Um, is our wheelhouse? Mm. Mm. Sheep style? Mm. Sheep style, yes. Who could forget? Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to go with the word Bocchino. 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 So Bocchino, the literal meaning is mouthpiece or cigarette holder. Kind of like the piece of a musical instrument that is held in your mouth. So you can assume, using this as a swear word or expletive or slang, uh-huh. often used to replicate the word blowjob. Mm. So, <laughs> such as Lori Fullington uh-huh. gave Raven a bocchino. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You guys want to give that one more shot? Bocchino. Bocchino. Do I have to say Eno like that? Bocchino. Bocchino. You fucking sounds like Bocchino. sounds like something you play at Foxwoods, like a table game. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Like, yes. Definitely in the, in the casino. Bocchino in the casino. Oh, my chouche cuisine. Get that motherfucker a Bocchino. <laughs> Vafungu. <laughs> All right, so our Italian lesson of the week, of course, means the FBI are with us. And we open Pulp Fiction with J.T. Smith and little Guido jogging through Philadelphia. And they head over to the Rocky statue, celebrate their workout. Wonderful gems that they are. We'll get back to them in a second. We then see Fonzie talking shit and hyping up Taz, who calls out Tommy Dreamer for next week. He also calls out Sabu and Dr. Death. So lots going on. Brian Lee says Tommy Dreamer is a martyr. And that means someone has to kill him. And he volunteers to do the job. <laughs> Tommy's a Beulah, and he says he's not a martyr, but he does have a death wish. And when he goes, Lee is coming with him. We go back to the Rocky statue. FBI's talking some shit. JT wants to bring Rocky with them, the Rock. But Guido doesn't think it's a good idea. He keeps saying, bada bing. Devon uh, Dudley says he can't wait till the next family gathering. And then we see the other Dudleys growling as Bubba talks about the best part about being family is that no matter how much you fight, you still love one another. And he loves Devon so much, he's going to bust his face. The FBI are still arguing over their Paisan Rocky. Guido starts hitting the statue and says they should bring Rocky Marciano instead. We get Scorpio talking some shit. Back to the gangsters talking about wanting to be the best at something, whether it's carjacking, rolling on women. But now they found it. The best at being the world tag team champions. 
Devon gives us commandments. We see Damien Kane with Lady Alexandra talking about how great she is and how wonderful he is. The gangsters keep talking about how they work their ass off to get to the top. They'll do anything to keep the belts. They've seen what it's like to be on the streets. They have no heat, and it'll be winter soon. But now they have the money for the heat. And now he's got a heated blanket and a body pack for it. So they're organized. They're all about organized violence. <laughs> Pitbull 1 seething about having uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a neck for a neck as Pitbull 2 just growls behind him. <laughs> Shane Douglas and Francine just laughing. Joey says Rob Van Dam will select a dream partner, as will Doug Furness. And Furness reveals his partner, of course, will be Dan Crawford, who's been his tag team partner for eight years. RVD talks about the dream tag and says Furness and Crawford are a hell of a team. They've dominated Japan, and ECW fans should be thrilled. But they need to learn respect, and he will give it. And his partner will teach him about respect, just like he taught RVD. And he says he's naming his partner right now, and he points to the sky like Sabu. And we fade out. Um... So listen, uh, Matt, I want all your thoughts on all Pulp Fiction, but what did you think of the RVD reveal of Sabu being his partner? Uh, Yeah, to me, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I I feel like there was, we mentioned it on one of the last episodes that like the stretcher match kind of felt like the end. And it feel like uh, this is kind of like the natural progression to that. Mm-hmm. Like they can't, they can't really feud again. Like they've had five matches. Like we're over, we're done with that. I mean, they could have just had them go their separate ways, right. but I, I think it's more interesting that they put them together and that they have to respect each other as a team. So I, I mm-hmm. think to me, this uh, going this road, uh, road makes the most sense to me. So uh, yeah, I like And they it. did it like in a cool way. Cause with the dream partner thing, it's like he knows he needs a top flight partner. And once you kind of do it, you name it. Like, I think the gimmick, I think, has been kind of established that the company honors it. Right. Like it's they get to pick whoever they want. It doesn't have to be like an obligate. Like if Sabu didn't want to do it, he could turn it down. I think the way they work is that when you pick your partner, that's your partner, no matter what. So RVD kind of forces Sabu into the spot, which forces them to be a team. And we'll see if it works or not. But I kind of like the way they went about it instead of mm-hmm. awkwardly coming together. I think this was like a good way to do it. Right. Uh, as for uh, the Pulp Fiction uh, as a whole, boy, this was a whole lot, wasn't it? Mm. Good Lord, there's a lot <laughs> happening mm-hmm. here. Uh, the FBI uh, beating the shit out of the Rocky statue was very entertaining to me, yeah, complete with the loud thud, like uh, like Austin hitting McMahon with the bedpan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it hit that kind of note for me. I, I thought it was uh, tremendous. I, I thought Devon was pretty good here, you know, debuting the commandments. That becomes a pretty big thing for the Dudleys as we... Uh, move forward uh the gangsters cutting a promo near a trash pile just a literal pile of trash uh also something uh and then you know you have uh overinflated jimmy garvin i mean damian kane he's still uh he's still Sorry, <laughs> sticking around here he, he he said things uh yeah this uh, this was uh i feel like you know most pulp fictions are pretty rapid fire but this felt like uh, the Russo Express lane of uh, of Pulp Fiction promos. This is a whole lot, Jenny. Uh, a whole lot of fun, actually. Oh, I would um, agree. <laughs> have you guys ever been to the Rocky statue? Uh, yeah, I meant to ask that too. I have in I have 2018 not. when I went to the Royal Rumble. Uh, it was my first time. Did you like run up the steps and do the whole yes. deal? Yeah, so the statue is actually not on the steps anymore. They moved it. It's like ah. it's next to the steps, like in its own little garden area where you can take mm-hmm. pictures and stuff i'm guessing it was probably crowding um too much on top of the steps uh mm-hmm. but yes we did run the steps i think it's a video somewhere like uh we all did it so um yep did the full run and we got the picture with the statue well that's neat uh did you beat up the statue <laughs> no <laughs> i did not it. i did not beat it up or talk shit to it okay mm-hmm. well you're not truly italian then so sorry mm-hmm. about that i'd argue i am <laughs> I uh I really liked um Tommy and Beulah um their little uh interlude here on this uh okay. the gangsters with the belts uh in in the dump apparently <laughs> usually usually our champions are talking about like you know like fame and money and like opportunity they're just trying to get heat in the winter time um with <laughs> yeah. their mm-hmm. championships so i thought that was a little bit of a a privilege check for some of these ecw guys i don't know they might not have had their heat on either in the winter but um i, I don't know i they they are like 
they're so interesting in how violent and wild organized violent uh, they are and how like heartbreaking some of their promos can be mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so I, I really like what they're doing um with their matches versus their promos and how it it really runs the spectrum on their characters um pit bulls that was sad um <laughs> really sad shane is hilarious still um and rvd is right because he says that um you know he's gonna have a special treat for ecw and i was shocked when he pointed to the sky, because I didn't see it coming up for whatever reason. And I was like, wait a minute, Sabu's not going to tag with him. What is he thinking? Um, so I'm glad you told me, like, basically they have to honor it if if you name him as a dream. I think so. I feel like there hasn't been, like, they never said it, but, like, we've seen enough of these now that I feel like every time, like, they always just do it. Like, no one's ever said no. And, mm-hmm. it, it, like, why would they call it that if it wasn't meaning the person could pick their partner and like, that's it. Like, that's what it has to be. So, well, we'll get into it, but I feel like in later, like in the next episode, there was some like questioning whether Sabu would do it or not. Yeah. Yeah, So maybe not then. I don't know. Maybe like, regardless, he was just like, well, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still not gonna. Right. But he's Sabu. So, you know, he's crazy. Yeah. And look, he did try and offer RVD respect. And the handshake way back mm-hmm. when. So it's RVD that refused. Uh, but I'm with you guys. A lot happened. This is a very uh, bulky Pulp Fiction. Uh, it, was, it was a good Pulp Fiction. I love that. I, I didn't realize Dreamer was like such a dark human uh, until rewatching this <laughs> ECW. Like that he like all he cares about is death. Like, it, I don't know. It's, it's weird sometimes. It feels like yeah. he's just acting like Raven. But uh, I guess the more it happens, he's clearly just someone that wants to die. So <laughs> see if he ever meets, <laughs> meets that goal. <laughs> is it because he looks like just a normal IT, IT guy, like in your office building? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. Like he shows up and he's well, he's yeah. got this hot hot chick. He's you know on top of this wrestling promotion. And he's just like you know, yeah, I just want to die and kill you. Yeah, I want to I want to die. Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd take. Uh, so that pretty much that wraps up this episode. Uh, again, no no real grades here. It's just the book. It was a recap. We did get some new stuff, and it was a good. The Sam and Raven angle was pretty good. Yep. Um, and I liked I liked the Pulp Fiction too. So uh, you know, RVD looked good. The Flock looked good. FBI looked good. So there's a lot of good stuff in this one, and I feel like it was better than our standard post arena mm-hmm. show recap mm-hmm. that we have to kind of get through. All right, let's fast forward a week. We go to September 3rd, 1996, and we open on a beach. Shane Douglas is swimming in the ocean in a very tiny bathing suit. Uh, very tiny. Mm. And Francine is looking on. Shane says, everyone is watching the Jerry Lewis Labor Day Marathon, and they're eating stale chips, drinking warm beer, and they all hope Mr. Lewis raises just one more dollar, because it could mean that Pitbull won wrestles again. Which is <laughs> oh such God. a douchey thing to say. It was, it was really funny. It made me laugh. Oh, it, so it completely good. caught me off guard. I didn't know where you were going with it. <laughs> Shane says for him, swimming is a light workout, but for Gary Wolf, it's something he could never do again. Just like spending the day at a beach. Shane says spending the day with Francine is strenuous, though. And Francine says Wolf can't do this either and points at herself. And Shane laughs uh, that he can do it. Do Francine and Pitbull can't. So, I mean, this is like pure just douche asshole heel stuff. Um, Just just really bottom barrel scumbag type behavior. It's worse than Sandman and Woman stuff, like worse than Sandman and anybody stuff, I think, probably. Like their their toxic relationship just kinda <laughs> oozes off the screen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of addicting. Uh Shane being a complete asshole, like, look at me swimming in the ocean and you can't you bitch. <laughs> like that is terrible. Um and Francine's bathing suit, good lord. Mm-hmm. It was like mm-hmm. leather. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't swim in a leather bathing suit. So, it, well. Francine's really to like come into her own, I guess, and kind of feel herself more now in this gimmick. Like, you know, she was fine with Stevie as kind of the nerdy girlfriend, and then she was good with the pit bulls, but never really did much. I mean, she she was active, but not. She took she bombs, but yeah, yeah, it's just different mm-hmm. though. She felt like she was just figuring it out still, and I feel like here. Like, this is where she was meant to be. Just next to Shane Douglas, yes. being a yep. bitch, trolling, yes. um, and just kind of being the queen queen bee of ECW, which is kind of where she's at right now. So it's it's been a good rise and a good path. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now it's like, this is the role she was meant to be in here. Yeah, that pairing is legit. 
What'd you think, Matt, of the the beach trip? Uh, yeah, uh, just an incredible uh, douchey thing for <laughs> Shane Douglas to say. Uh, just, I, you know, I had a feeling he was going to say uh, something <laughs> pretty rough, but then he <laughs> says that it's like, oh my lord, like yeah. I mean, there's no line ECW won't cross. I guess <laughs> good, but yeah. And uh, Jesus, God, Francine, my mm-hmm. lord. Uh, Hachi machi, but uh, yeah, uh, great stuff here. Uh, a wonderful, uh, lovely uh, Philadelphia beach they were on, too. I don't know where they were. I was wondering where the fuck they were because he pointed it to looked... an island. I was like, is that Alcatraz? Yeah. Like, what is yeah. that? It looked more like, um, if you go to like, yeah, like a lake or something, yeah, than like a beach, yeah, like that. But I don't know. I mean, they could have been in Jersey, probably like on the shore somewhere. I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, maybe. Y'all got weird beaches up there. I don't understand them. Weird beaches. Different yeah. topography than, than far. Yeah. So. <laughs> kind of like how to work with Weirder. what's there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's only so much we can do, Jenny. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just don't go to Connecticut <laughs> Beach. Connecticut yeah. Beach is the worst beaches. Yeah. Trash. Uh, all right, so did, were you guys fans of the – did you used to watch it? No, I guess fans. But uh, did you used to watch the Jerry Lewis Marathon? Was that like something you'd – was that like an annual thing for you guys? Oh, honey, no. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, define watching it. Like, if I was having a Labor Day party with family, it was probably on at some point. Right. But, like, sitting in front of the TV with a tub of popcorn watching it, God, <laughs> right? I think it was one of those, like, background for the weekend right. type things, right? You yeah. kind of flip to it. and It's it's the Labor Day Yule log, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I used to get aggravated by it and be like, oh, this is just taking up, you know, TV time for something better. Labor Day was always weird because you were kind of just waiting for like football to start. It was like that last fucking weekend before football yeah. and you're just kind of bored with it. Um, but it was a big holiday for me personally, because my parents always did a big labor day and a summer party. That was like our thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it would always be just be like a huge, I mean like probably upwards of 80 to hundred people like in our yard, in our house. And it was just a big annual tradition. So it was always one of my favorite weekends from that perspective. But yes, from the TV perspective, it kind of felt like, and the party is usually on Sunday. So by Monday, you're just kind of recouping and rehabbing. And then like that's just what was on. So it was kind of like, a, you know, I guess I'll watch Jerry Lewis do his thing for seven hours. <laughs> but he did raise a lot of money for a good cause. So I'm glad it happened. What was his know. cause? Was it different causes or the same cause or his cause? It was a uh, was it MS? Was it? Uh, I think so. Y'all paid a lot of attention. Look, M- MDA, MDA Labor Day Tales. That's right. Muscular yes, dystrophy. Right. Yep. Okay, right. close enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was obviously a good thing. I mean, me being an asshole 14-year-old bored with it doesn't mean it wasn't <laughs> wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, opening animation, we get an extended look at the Pitbull, Shane Douglas feud as part of it. We then go to the nest where Joey is with Shane Douglas and Francine, who interrupt and talk about how the show is all about them. Shane gives another warning to Pitbull, too. He brags on stealing his title and his girl and breaking his partner's neck, ending the Pitbull's team forever. He's not some 49-year-old man living on past glories or some contemporary dancing with punk kids to try and market themselves. He's a world champion. He's a TV champion. And for that reason, he's a gladiator. And he breaks necks, kicks tail, and is the best. Pitbull, too, has no chance at regaining the gold regaining his woman or ever teaming with his friend again. And Francine makes sure she gets a shot at Joey and says, Joel Gertner's better than you. <laughs> and uh, that's that. So I, again, I, I think this continues to be some really good heel work by these two. Mm-hmm. I think we're on the cusp, maybe on the borderline of a little overexposure. Like it's good, but I feel like this is something that could get to be too much if they keep mm-hmm. going and keep being douchier and douchier, like they can just feel like really mean, <laughs> like at a certain point. Um, I don't mind it as like kind of one hit a week where he's just like really pushing the heat, but like, I don't really, and I think that's how Shane works best. I think we've seen it. And this is probably more so than uh, before you were around Matt, like pre when he left for WF, when he was really kind of the focal point um, on that side of it, like we'd get episodes almost with him all over it. Mm-hmm. I think this has been a better way to present Shane just kind of one, you know, one segment a week. Like I'm fine with, I, I don't want to edge past that. Jenny. You, you were part of, you know, watching a lot of this in 94, 95, where he was really heavily featured. If you, it seems like you prefer him in this role as well. I do, but you're right because Shane doesn't really know when to quit. That's where he fucks up. 
Oh, that's where he did. And that initial run, you know, it was just being fucking stupid and ridiculous. And I didn't believe a fucking word he said. So this stuff is a little bit more mild. Like, it's a little right. bit more fun. Like, they're healing it up. They're having a good time. You can tell they're having a good time. So I I, I don't hate it as much. Um, I, I, overexposure, I don't. I don't know. It, I don't care. I, honestly, I don't care how many he gets, but um, they need to just like continue it. They don't need to stay stuck on this. Pit well, that's what I guess that's kind of what I'm getting yeah. at. Cause he they, tends to be repetitive. He will. Yes. He will run yeah. it into the fucking ground. So we right. got like, like the Ric Flair shit right. in the past. Gotta just, yeah. Something shiny over here and let Shane come over here and chase this for a little bit, because right. when he's chasing, he's very good. But when right. he gets it, he gets very fucking annoying. Right. Quickly. What do you think, Matt? Are we at risk of uh, when he's on multiple times hammering the same points, overexposing it, or is the angle so hot and the and the content so good that it's okay? I mean, I, I could see where you're coming from. I, I don't think we're quite at that point yet. Like, if we just keep it to this, like, I, I think mm-hmm. it's okay. And, I mean, there is a line where he could get, like, too much. And, like you said, you know, just not changing it up a bit. Like, if he comes out, you know, in a future episode, like, a few weeks from now and says the same thing, then, yeah, you're right. absolutely right. But, like, at this point, I don't think we're quite there yet. But it all depends. For me, it all depends on, like, what he says after this. Like, if he keeps saying the same shit about pitbull then it's like all right find something else to do find something new you know but right now i i think as is it, it's fine and it works for him look he, he's he's always been better as an asshole than as a face anyway <laughs> so and that that goes for his wwe stuff here so i mean uh, he's great at what he does he's great at being a douchebag so for now i'm sure good with is. It. All right, we get a recap of the issues between RVD and Doug Furness from last week, including the revelation of the dream partner choices, Dan Crawford and Sabu. Joey's in back of the nest talking about when worlds collide, which would be an extreme reunion. Joey wonders about RVD picking Sabu and how he thought maybe it was the only way to beat Furness and Crawford, or is he just trying to double cross Sabu? Ooh. That would be a mistake because he'd be left alone. Joey wonders if Sabu will even sign on the dotted line. So again, Jenny, to your point, maybe... Um, you know, maybe it's not just an automatic. Maybe Sabu does have to accept. So uh, we then see RVD backstage chucking chairs around. He demands that Paul make Sabu team with him. Paul <laughs> says it won't happen, but RVD keeps pressing him and threatens him physically and walks away. And then Joey says Sabu has accepted. Uh, but he says you never win when dealing with Paul E. Dangerously. He always gets something extra. So in Flagstaff, at the Flagstaff Arena in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania on 913, there's one match that will not be chosen at random because that's the gimmick of the show. Rob Van Dam will face Sabu to earn his respect. And if Sabu uh, earns that respect, he will team with RVD 24 hours later. Uh, so, Jane, what did you think of this whole kerfluffle? I, I like RVD just going in there wrecking shit, uh, <laughs> throwing shit around, looking like me throwing a tantrum <laughs> and uh, getting all in Paul's face. Paul's like, fuck you, buddy. And then he was like, OK, never mind. <laughs> But yeah, it was good, and um, uh, I I feel weird about them being a tag team, Matt. Yeah, uh, I like this segment too. Uh, a, a, a different side of RVD than we're used to. Like, I feel like we haven't seen RVD really uh, do stuff like this mm-hmm. at all. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, it also made me wish we saw Heyman more, honestly. Even yes. as like a mouthpiece for Sabu, because he, he, I mean, obviously he's fucking great. So I mean, anything that gets Heyman on my screen more, I'm all for. And uh, sneaky big main event for that show in Jim Thorpe, uh, Jim Thorpe, uh, Pennsylvania, correct? Pennsylvania. That's that's mm-hmm. Michigan. Yes. Yeah. yes. Not oh, Michigan. Michigan. I not Michigan, Pennsylvania. Got it. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a big main event uh, doing the respect thing again, which is interesting. But it's a big main event for that show. So, yeah, I like this quite a bit. All right. Uh, we get the full uh, Lori Fullington, Missy Hyatt stuff from. Natural Born Killers, 1996. Joey's in in the nest. He says Sammy has no wife, no son, no title, no manager. He is all alone, and he wonders what else will Raven take from him. We then get Spicoli versus Storm from Natural Born Killers and Tommy Dreamer versus Taz from Natural Born Killers to wrap up the episode. Matt, any final thoughts on the episode as a whole? 
Yeah, I mean, we all loved Taz Dreamer from Natural Born Killers, so to get that as a main event on this show was great. I mean, I think we all went, what, like at least three and a half or four stars on it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a hell of a match to have on a weekly TV show. And, I mean, you get Francine in that bikini. God, that's worth at least uh, three or four stars right there. (laughs) Christ almighty. But, uh, yeah, just uh, a really good episode of TV here, Jenny. Well, don't forget, you also get the Spicoli match, and that has Godfather mm-hmm. and Lady mm-hmm. A on it. So no, of course. Always how, can I for- how can I forget overinflated Jimmy Garvin? <laughs> <laughs> it was a good episode. I mean, damn. If you didn't watch this stuff, you got a treat in this episode. Yeah, for sure. And again, it was, you know, the tape wouldn't have been out yet. And I knew they turned them quick, but not that quick. And not everyone's at the arena, so... That was a first-time match for a lot of people, no doubt, inside uh, watching TV at that time. So to Matt's point, and I know I feel like we we try and say it, but I don't want to keep hammering it home. But it's it's true. It's like we we buzz through some of these TVs, but a lot of it is still iconic and epic at the time because this isn't stuff that you would see normally on television being churned out week after week on anywhere else really in in the North America um, than what you're seeing here on ECW television week after week. All right, let's fast forward to our last episode of this podcast, September 10th, 1996. We get those clips from Tommy and Taz in the week before with all the post-match fallout. We then get our opening animation. We go back to the fallout from Taz vs. Dreamer, where the doctors were tending to Terry Gordy, who was in really bad shape. He was unconscious and loaded onto a stretcher. Joey's in the nest, recaps what happened with Gordy being checked on by damage control and Dr. Mark Allen. Everyone is worried about his well-being. Joey says he's rebuilt his career over the past few years, but now he fell victim to his own hold, thanks to Brian Lee. Gordy doesn't make any excuses, but this was personal. It was targeted, and it was not about business. It was about payback, because Gordy proved himself to be a better man in defeating Brian Lee. And we see that full match from Natural Born Killers. Joey's in the nest again, talks more about Gordian Lee, who says he has even more shame, uh, even though Lee won't feel it. And later in the evening, Lee took advantage of Gordy after the Eliminators beat him up. Joey says, what kind of trauma will Gordy go through with a thumb in his jugular after he's already been pronounced dead twice in his life? <laughs> he says it's time for an extreme response from Tommy Dreamer, who's a better man than Brian Lee, who's nothing more than a thug and a mercenary. Uh, so before we get to Dreamer, well, actually, let's just let me get through that and we can talk about the whole thing. Oh, we then come back to the arena. Dreamer is outside a cage. He says he wants to team with Gordy and Dr. Death against the Eliminators and Brian Lee. It's a reunion he's been hoping for for years. Lance Wright then hypes up this Saturday show where Doc and Gordy will reunite and tells fans to get to Philly, buy the ticket. It is truth, not just hype. Dr. Death, Terry Gordy will be reuniting in the ECW arena so jenny uh, digest all this for me the whole thing with gordy with lee with dreamer the eliminators stock like how does this all come together for you well um so i know we talked about gordy before and how um he's had a lot of you know like like joey said he's been declared dead twice and so not in the greatest shape um is this a shoot is it really that fucked up or are we using his history to make him seem like he's that fucked up no, he was. I mean, I I know mm-hmm. for sure, like he OD'd once, right, Matt? Or was it both mm-hmm. times when he almost died? I don't know if it was at the same time, but it, it was definitely it, it, like he was yeah. legit dead. Um, and he, you know, it was said that he had like legit brain damage from that, and that's why he was never quite the same. Which is why that match uh, that we talked about with him and Raven was like so crazy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he had been just not himself really mm-hmm. since those incidents. And you know, our buddy Pete uh, Schumacher said uh, sent a message over and said. Raven for years actually used that match as an example of why he was such a great worker because uh, he carried Gordy to that. Huh. Right, right. Like yeah. time with Gordy. I mean, look, later in this year, he puts on, you know, a brutal match with The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. And in your house, it's time. Uh, so, I mean, he just, you know, maybe pulled it together for this little run here in the arena. But overall, yeah, he was a shell of himself at this point. Just a tremendous worker in his time before those issues. Uh, Joey was very, you know, somber about the health of Gordy. So um, it makes me concerned that perhaps the man should not be reuniting um, with Dr. Death Steve Williams to have another brutal fucking match. But, you know, I guess we're not going to worry about that at this point. (laughs) Um, You know, he'll be fine. Walk it off. You know, Um, somebody bring the paddles to the match, I guess. 
um, so we can shock it back into life if required, because um, the their uh, their opponents do not fuck around. So uh, he's he's liable to get hurt again, Maddie. Uh, yeah, uh, I thought Joey Styles was great <laughs> during this. Right? Uh, Somber mm-hmm. Joey, I mean, just driving the point home, really laying it on thick, and it deserved to be, I mean, laid on thick. The guy died twice, for God's sake, and mm-hmm. I mean, they could have, uh, I mean, they could have weaved in that, you know, he's going to team with Doctor Death. Oh, it'll be the, his third time facing death, but uh, <laughs> you know, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Teaming with death, facing death, this is all over the place. The man loves death. Let's pair him with Tommy Dreamer since he wants to die, but <laughs> and Doctor Death, who also <laughs> oh, specializes in death. Good That's Lord. right. A lot of death going on here, but uh, yeah, I, I like this whole thing. Really, and I mean, Gordy has been, save for that match with Lee that we saw last month. Gordy's mm-hmm. been fantastic, shockingly yeah. good, which I've, yes. you know, I think we've mentioned before. But uh, and yeah, that six-man tag should be a ton of fun. I'm curious to see um, how Gordy and Doctor Death, if they're still able to work with one another, because uh, in their prime, they were quite good. So we'll see if that carries over to this. But yeah, good stuff here. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we'll continue to see how it goes. And, yes, I thought Joey was tremendous here, too. When he really gets serious and lays into someone like this is I feel like we don't really talk about him enough, honestly, um, mm-hmm. as the voice and the lead of these shows, like just how he nav- navigates us through everything going on. And I know, look, I know these are all prepackaged, edited, post post work. Like there's a lot in here, right, that allows him to be able to refine what he's talking about and do it in an efficient way. But he's still really damn good at being the storyteller and narrator of this promotion for us. We're with him almost exclusively 45 minutes a week, right? I mean, we get him in the nest. We get him calling the matches, like outside of stuff like Pulp Fiction and promos, like we get him for the bulk of everything. And he just does a, a wonderful job of just being the voice and the advocate of the promotion and making you know when we should be legit mad when we should be kind of jokey mad, when things are heavy, when things are serious, when things are too far, when they're not far enough. Like he just, you just through facial expressions and tone, you know, tells us how to feel about certain things. And for a promotion that's steeped in insider terms and smart mark and that stuff, right? Like what's real, what's not, this is real, that's like, you know, in a promotion that sets that tone, he does a nice job of helping us know like when we still should kind of buy in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see other promotions in later years and, and across the board lean too into the inside stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's when the problems come right where it's like, well, that was real, but this isn't, and that's not real, but this is. And DCW always still made you believe everything is real. Even when talking about inside stuff and backstage stuff and transactions and other promotions, but they still never sat there and said, oh, well, this is a show, or this isn't real. Um, everything was always real that happened in that arena. So, I'll take silence and agreement. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right, we get uh, in full the Dudley Brothers versus Devon Dudley and Axel Rotten from Natural Born Killers. Joey's in in the nest. He talks about what we just saw. It says that when worlds collide, Axel will take on Bubba Ray, and if Axel doesn't pin him, he has to face Devon. Joey then talks about the tragic story of the Fullington family, walks us through the torture Sandman has experienced in 1996, courtesy Raven, who took his title, his ex-wife, his son, and also now Missy Hyatt. Sandman has unfinished business, and he has to get his kid back in Raven's head in his trophy case. Sandman has nothing, and that makes him the most dangerous man. He brings in Raven and Lori from the basement. Raven says, inside Lori's body started the evolution of Sandman's successor. For nine months, she nurtured a helpless, dependent being from her womb, begat a male heir to the Fullington lineage, a living, breathing embodiment of Sandman's mortality, the continuation of his bloodline and his chromosomes. As his heritage was passed down from his father, James, trusted with the continuance of the family name by his dad, David, and their fathers, unlike him, who were disowned by his family, denied his birthright, and forced to create his own existence. So it was written and came to pass that James and Lori who have a son named Tyler, who had right bestowed upon his parents that wanted him. No matter how hateful and violent the differences between them are, the bond of her father and son can never be broken. And Lori says, well, that is until now. This was super intense shit uh, from Raven yes. talking about what it means to be a father and a son and a family legacy and everything that goes into that and how Raven uh, has now shattered that. And really what he's saying is he's jealous, right? <laughs> like he's, He never had parents that cared about him like Tyler does. He's had to make his own legacy, whereas Tyler's been gifted this one, handed down from, from Sandman, from his dad, from his grandfather. And he's here to destroy that because it's something he never had, which is really 
not hammered home. But it's the root of all of Raven's issues and hate uh, throughout his run of ECW is jealousy of having what he proclaims to be a miserable childhood of being ignored and hated and uh, bullied and beaten on. And this is what he's become because of it. And that's what's really filtered throughout his entire uh, ECW career. So, uh, Matt, what do you think of this and kind of how it really brings home what Raven is about? Yeah, uh, another amazing promo from Raven. I mean, fucking like a Edgar Allan Poe uh, <laughs> sonnet. He's just mm-hmm. rattling stuff off. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I, I was thinking about this while watching this promo. I'd love to know like, if he did all these promos in one take and if he's just going, rattling all that stuff mm-hmm. off the cuff. Because if it is, I mean, that's fucking impressive. Like, he, he's a smarter man than I am. I could tell you that if he's rattling that off like that. Um I feel like we haven't mentioned just how good Lori has been during this, too. <laughs> yes. Like, she was incredible during this. Just how she's just sitting there with Raven. You don't even see Raven's face for, like, half of this promo. The camera's mm-hmm. just basically on Lori, and he's just talking, and he's sitting behind her. I mean, she's just stoic, not moving, until the end when she does the, the Raven pose there and says, until now. Like, I mean, she's just – she's nailing her role, and she's been great. And she was uh, – Excellent here. Uh, yeah, uh, just amazing stuff from Raven. Uh, another amazing promo from him, Jenny. Agreed. Continuation of his chromosomes is my punk band, by the way. <laughs> um, And the way she was like, like you said, just like sat between his lap and then she had her legs spread and then the belt was like over her womb. So, mm. you know, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of symbolism uh, here, too. And. Raven, I think I'll, I think Raven, like sort of forms what he wants to say, but it isn't you know like he has some ideas about what he wants to say, and so it's not totally off the cuff. I think he sort of prepares it, but then he puts it together just right. Like it's amazing. I love his promos. I love his sonnets. They're so gross and terrible and and emo <laughs> and dark and awful mm-hmm. and um they just. He's just telling you his truth. That's what he's trying to do. He's just trying to get across how much pain he's in. And now he's going to, you know, make everybody mm-hmm. else feel that pain. So especially Sandman and um, take his, his family from him. And it's intense shit and it's brilliant. And I love it. Yeah. And, and they've done a good balance of it, too, where like with Lori, where she's not really a pawn too. like she's knows what she's doing with this. She like she's trying to get own. revenge on Sandman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got her own agenda. So they really teamed up and her and she's letting Raven use her son mm-hmm. um, to get back at, at Sandman for what he did to her. And you know, Sandman's not innocent in this, right? I mean, he did treat her like shit. The whole Tommy yeah. Cairo thing. Like that's right. all been established. So that's what's so good about it. It's not like Raven's just using them. I mean, she's just as villainous as he is in this situation. So it's been great, uh, and we'll continue to, to watch it play out. Joey talks about all the conflict and wars and controversies in ECW going around. So they made history in 1996, but one headline has rang out around the world. It is Sabu versus Rob Van Dam. He says all this has evolved to this dra- uh, dream tag match, and at world- when worlds collide, we'll have the strangest union of all on that night. We then go backstage. Francine's in a bikini, and she's with Gary Wolf's physical therapist and asked if he's going in the water, would he drown? The physical therapist said Gary would have no problem moving in the water because it's therapeutic. Shane then dives in the pool. (laughs) Shane then dives in the pool and says to call Gary to race him then into pool races. And he names a bunch of different kinds, butterfly and backstroke and all this (laughs) stuff. Shane then thanks the doc for teaching him everything he needs to know. Gary can survive in the water. Uh, This just more just bullshit from Shane and Francine here. so i know we just said like we need to move on but i think they're changing location Mm -hmm. it's funny to me like just a different kind of Mm. water in there and when the guy says no water is actually okay because they were like oh (laughs) never mind then uh, and then shane says that francine's favorite is the breaststroke (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, okay, I'll allow it. It was funny. I no, think. it was good. It was, and yeah. yes, changing location and mixing it up a little bit is definitely and good trolling. And yeah. too, so it's like, it right. takes a lot of the sting out of it, I think. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, just 
uh, yeah, I think Shane needed to show a little bit of ass in this after the first one, and uh, good on him for that. But yeah, I mean, I think if it goes past this episode, I could see it maybe being a bit much. Like if they keep it all contained in this episode, I get it. But I think if we move past this, if we uh, continue to see the same thing as we move forward, then yeah, I'll see where you're coming from. But if they keep it contained to this you know, 45 minute episode. I think we're good, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Time for Pulp Fiction. Fonzie's blown his whistle. He asked why Styles is growing a mustache because he wants to look like his mother. <laughs> the Dudleys then call out Devon for bringing this on himself. I wanted to make them hardcore and now it's happened. Shane is in the water. He tells Gary to swim out and get Francine. Pibble one says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth and a neck for a neck. Lance Wright hypes up the brand new ECW t-shirt. Little Guido and JT Smith are still fighting over the Rocky statue from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Brian Lee says he has Ravens back and he'll be a six-man tag partner with the Eliminators as he's paid to take people out. Just ask Terry Gordy. Then we get Dr. Death just staring angrily at the camera. <laughs> and Fonzie and Taz talk about someone signing an open contract and that means he doesn't fear Taz. It makes him mad and he'll beat him in fear. Uh, Divine Brown is back. She hypes up ECW TV <laughs> and Stevie asks if she'll sign his nudie magazine but she smacks him with it instead. <laughs> We get Lance Wright just kind of stooging around. Fonzie's still ranting. He says he'll interrupt the show this week because he hates ECW. He hates Philadelphia. And Johnny Smith is nuts if he thinks he can take that open contract and beat Taz. More Smith and Guido with Rocky. The gang says that the junkyard says they're in the wrong place as you're looking for wrestling holds. But they will split a wig wide open. And they represent ECW all around the world. Raven calls out Sandman, says Lori wants Sandman. And she crawls around begging. For him to die. She hugs Raven and smirks and laughs. A lot of death themes. Uh, Lee then calls out Dreamer while standing with the bloodied Eliminators. Says there'll be no resurrection. Saturn calls out Doc and Gordy and says their legacy hangs over them. So they will eliminate them to be the best uh, of all time. And that wraps up our episode, Matt. So any thoughts on uh, Pulp Fiction? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Paulie writing this episode was in his feels because, boy, there's a lot of uh, somberness and uh, macabre shit going on throughout this entire fucking episode. My God. Uh, and we saw it continue here with the Lori stuff wanting <laughs> Sandman to die. Uh, again, she she was great in this, just screaming it. Oh, just fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, Lance Wright at one point, uh, he got hit in the face with the boom mic. And then he says, now I know how Misty feels, which uh, I, 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 I think that was a dick joke, but I'm not I sure. Think so. I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Divine Brown is back. Wasn't expecting that, I gotta yep. say. It just pops up out of nowhere. And, uh, yeah, a, a, another uh, batshit insane <laughs> Pulp Fiction. And, uh, look, uh, again, Francine was in a bikini, so I can't hate it, Jenny. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah, this is good, too. Uh, I like creepy Lori. Um, I like her smudged makeup and creepy mm-hmm. doll clothes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where Tommy Cairo is. Uh, anyway. I like um, Divine Brown. That was random. Like, did she like come to the show? Like, no, I'm guessing they filmed that at the time. Like, yeah. like a long time ago, because that was when she was there. Like, I think oh, they yeah, used to save this fucking clip hanging yeah. around. Let's yeah, I think they used to save a lot of footage for like when they needed to fill. Um, that's my guess. Is they would just like record a bunch of shit and save it because I, you know, every now and then we'll see something pop off from like months ago out of nowhere. I don't think she came back. I'm guessing it was like a okay. one-time taping she did. I was just curious about that. And I love the closing of this um, with uh, Saturn. Uh, him and, mm. They're all bloody as shit. He starts punching Saturn, punching himself in the face. He is just like in the zone. I fucking love Saturn. He is the, he is, he, he's like Mikey levels for me now. Like mm-hmm. I'm on, this was so awesome. Bloody and brutal way to end the episode. All right, so that'll do it for this week's edition of the Extreme Three-Way Dance. Of course, be sure to check out everything we have to offer here on the North-South Connection. Content coming at you literally daily with Cronoso Daily, uh, which is our chrono- chronological walk through DOTAF pay-per-view and Saturday Mid Event history. You have one match per day, drops at 8 a.m., 11 or 12 different voices, and they're usually just between you know 10 and 15 minutes. And they're a lot of fun, and I really enjoy listening to them. And that goes with all the other content we have. A lot of it's evergreen here. Tons of uh, wrestling content across the board. Recently returned Wrestling Warzone, which is exciting. Myself and Chad Campbell going through the Monday Wars we picked up after SummerSlam 96. So that's back at you, rotating with this show 
every other Thursday. Jen, anything you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, so I have um, my podcast feed is called The Jenny Position and cool shows on there. You heard about Pluto and Freak Out Drive-In, Talking Pop and um, possibly a new uh, Bianca's First Time, hopefully hmm. soon. So um, catch me on Twitter and the Facebook page at Jenny Position. Matt? Yep, uh, you can find me on Highway to the Impact Zone over on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. We're currently in TNA 2005. That show was a blast to do, so definitely check that out. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, there should be a new episode of YouTube Let Out. It might not be out yet, I'm not 100%, but it'll be out uh, soon in any event, so give that a listen. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at msusan1991. All right, and that'll do it for us. We'll be back in two weeks' time. We'll have three new episodes of uh, ECW Television. So this is a uh, kind of a gap for us here. We don't have a uh, we don't get to see when Worlds Collide, but we will see, I'm sure, a lot of it over the following three weeks of television. So we'll hit that up in two weeks' time. Until then, everyone, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Stay extreme. Put your hands into your